Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. My guest today is Sebastian Wiedmann, head of strategy at Comainu, a regulated digital asset custodian for institutional investors. Sebastian, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, Comainu can date its foundation back to 2018. It emerged uh, in 2020, two years ago. What happened between those two dates? Yeah, definitely. So in 2018, I was part of Nomura's wholesale digital office. The wholesale digital office is part of the wholesale division, so the capital markets arm of the business. And we're looking at um, how we could uh, gain exposure to the digital asset space. In 2017, 2018, most of the on-ramping, meaning from fiat to crypto, was being done through the Japanese yen. And obviously, Nomura being a large FX franchise in, uh, with Japanese yen, we looked at how could we start getting exposures. We started getting more and more potential clients looking at the space. And also, we saw Bitcoin and other digital assets coming and more into the mainstream. So with the bank, we understood the potential of blockchain technologies. We've done a bit of experimentation around use cases, looking at a segment of currencies, as well as security tokenization. And so even at the top of uh, top level management, there was an understanding of the potential of the underlying technology. So we didn't really consider digital assets such as Bitcoin as an investable asset class, even though there was um, enough interest, I think, from a regulatory perspective, as well as clients. And so we said, if we believe in this advent of tokenization, meaning that any financial assets would be represented on a blockchain ledger, how could we as a financial institution gain exposure to it in a secure and regulated way? So early on, we looked at the market infrastructure and we noticed that there wasn't anything um, viable for a large institution like Nomura to gain exposure to this space. So we decided to take a step back and understood given that digital assets are bearer assets uh, intrinsically, that custody would be the foundational pillar of every asset strategy. And so we decided to launch a digital asset custody company. We did partnered with um, two um, leading um, market participants at the time. On one side, CoinShares, which is a leading digital asset fund manager, as well as Ledger, which is uh, the best in class uh, technology provider for digital asset security. So um, the three of us um, announced a joint venture in May, 2018 with the scope to build the first regulated digital asset custody solution for institutions. Uh, we announced it in 2018, then worked on really understanding the business case, where should we go live, what type of clients do we want to onboard, and how do we create a sustainable business that's fit for purpose on one side for cryptocurrencies, but also over the longer term for anything around security tokens, stable coins, et cetera. So we spent a lot of time thinking around what is the right regulation, what is the right jurisdiction, and um, what is the structure that we should set up. Um, we applied for regulatory licensing in early 2019 and received uh, a license from the Jersey Financial Services Commission in uh, late 2019 and conducted a proof of concept. And uh, once everyone was comfortable that this was a fit for purpose solution for institutional investors, we decided to go live to the public in uh, June 2020. Now, what progress have you made uh, since 2020? I mean, how big is Kermainu now in terms of your assets in custody, client numbers, employee yeah, numbers? Kermainu obviously started as a joint venture, so it was relying a lot on input from the three joint venture partners on one side from Nomura around the institutional focus and expertise, policies and procedures, on the other side from Ledger around the technology stack, as well as pointures um, around anything dealing with digital assets. We launched in June 2020 with 200 million in assets under custody from our anchor client. 
and quickly scaled this um, significantly. We closed 2020 with over 2 billion in assets, really showing the interest in the asset class, especially from institutional investors was growing and there was a, a strong presence in the market already. And we then decided to raise a Series A fundraise to really help um, set stage for the next phase of growth for the business. We raised 25 million from the likes of Alan Howard, Galaxy Digital, Nomura Research Institute, as well as the existing joint venture partners that um, all recommitted to the venture showing their commitments over the long term. We now in 2022, we're over 30 people. We have uh, over 5 billion additional assets uh, under custody and are really looking to scale the business twofold. On one side, we want to really take um, lessons learned from our regulatory framework in New Jersey and apply that globally. So we want to come to market with a global digital asset custody solutions for institutions. And then we want to create additional utility in custody. So digital assets offer new ways um, of dealing with assets that traditional assets don't. And so the scope of services that a custodian has to offer has really evolved. So one side, our core layer is really providing secure custody of digital assets, but this has really helped um, also in the terms of asset servicing. Comino announced Comino Yield in January, really creating utility out of custody, where um, our first initiative is allowing institutional clients to stake their assets directly out of custody. And over the coming year, we're really looking to expand our scope of services helping any new institution that potentially hasn't gained exposure to the asset class yet move into the space and by leveraging Comino as a trusted partner in the ecosystem. Well, I'll, I'll come back to staking in a minute, but as you, as you referred to earlier, this is a joint venture. You've got three parents, if you like, of the company. You've got Nomura, the investment bank, where you work yourself in the digital assets group. You've got, uh, you've got Ledger, who is supplying the technology. You've got CoinShares. As this client base as a as a cryptocurrency fund manager now, what was the thinking behind each of those partners when when they came together? Definitely. So I think everyone really brought um, a mix of expertise and know how to the table that really complemented itself. Um, listing the partners one by one, if you look at Nomura, Nomura is over a hundred year old financial service institution with uh, over twenty eight offices, regulated multiple jurisdictions. So it's really bread and butter financial services with an institutional DNA. And Nomura has a, a very innovative culture, meaning that the business is always looking to disrupt itself before a third-party fintech vendors or a new market entrance would disrupt the traditional business model. And so Nomura is always looking at um, new technologies, emerging technologies, and how these would impact their existing business model. Um, around 2015, 2016, there was a lot of um, discussions around the potential of blockchain technologies, not um, for cryptocurrencies, but really to leverage uh, the technology stack to create a more efficient financial market infrastructure. And so early on, I think in 2015, and we're already invested in a um, private uh, blockchain company called R3, looking at how you could leverage um, blockchain technologies to make on one side existing business models more efficient, but on the other side also create new business models. And so to my point earlier, Nomura was quite um, active and quite um, an early adopter of these uh, new technologies, really from an R&D perspective, looking at how these technologies over the long term could impact its existing business models. And since then, we've done a lot of research um, and we must continue to do a lot of research around how can you leverage blockchain for anything around currencies, so looking at stable coins, anything around um, securities, around security tokens and uh, bonds on a blockchain. So really looking and having a very long-term view as to how that new tech stack can impact its business models and how to do it in a regulated and compliant way and how to be able to service the most client base 
and or continue service in the client base with um, what they require in the market. CoinShares mm -hmm. was and still is the leading digital asset fund manager. CoinShares, prior to being called CoinShares, was called Global Advisors. They, in 2014, launched the first regulated Bitcoin fund. So they really understood on one side how to deal with digital assets in a more regulated and compliant way and not purely on a retail investor base, but really how to scale that business and how the next wave of institutional participation would um, impact the market. They obviously had a, a number of funds outstanding as well as uh, exchange rate products. And so they understood the need for regulated market infrastructure to really help scale the market overall. And um, they really provided the use case for custody as a, an existing challenge in the market for a player like them that then would even become a bigger requirement for more larger traditional financial institutions like there. And Ledger um, started as a technology company. Initially, they only created Ledger Nanos, which are um, USB uh, stick-like hardware wallets to store cryptocurrencies in a secure way. And since then, they really moved ahead and also created the Ledger Enterprise um, part of the business, focusing on institutional-grade uh, digital assets, security, and hardware that would really meet the requirements of institutional um, investors. We've been really looking at the more of the how the technology stack and security overall evolved. And around 2018, we got comfortable with uh, the Ledger Vault solution as a potential um, underlying infrastructure for combining a security system to really be able to, on the one side, custody and also manage digital assets as scale for institutions. And so it was really a good um, complementary joint venture whereby every partner would bring their expertise to the table. And together we would build Comino as a, the leading institutional great digital asset custody company. So you have these three parents drawn from different uh, disciplines, investment banking, technology, fund management. Does the parentage of the company ever prompt questions from prospective clients about how independent Comino is? Not to date. I think um, uh, prospective clients really value the expertise that every um, partner brings to the table. Comino is a standalone entity uh, independently regulated by the Jersey Financial Services Commission. We completed a Series A fundraise that really um, further showed our independence. Comino has its own capital stack, its own balance sheet, and really is an independent business um, that can grow um, on its own. However, we're still reliant to closely work with our partners, our joint venture partners, as well as our new investors to really scale this business and make sure that it's fit for purpose for any institution that wants to move into the digital asset space. And in terms of technology, do you use technologies other than those that are supplied by Ledger? Yeah, so we started um, obviously with Ledger and the Ledger Vault solution. Since then, we see that the market has evolved. Um, Comino really, and the vision of Comino is to be an enabler for new institutions moving into the market. So um, we're technology agnostic over the long term. We really um, work with our partners to leverage and help them improve their technology stack. But as uh, different clients have different use cases and potentially need different types of technologies, depending on uh, the service, et cetera, we tend to partner with the best in class technology providers um, throughout. Ledger is um, a big part of that solution and they'll continue to do so. And we have a close partnership, but we also consider other technology stacks that we either put on top or develop in-house as well to really create a sustainable and a fit for purpose solution for any investor that wants to move into this asset class. Now you mentioned a few minutes ago that uh, in March last year, almost exactly a year ago, uh, Kermaini raised $25 billion in its Series A funding 
uh, rounded among the investors with Alan Howard, who's a, an investor also in another digital asset custodian, Copper, and from Galaxy Digital and from Nomura Research Institute and others. And what's what was what's the future value that they see in custodying digital assets? Yeah. So definitely, I think Comino is uh, separate to most of the names you mentioned. We're really a service business, so we don't pride ourselves to be a technology business. We create an institutional great service for institutional clients. So it's very different from purely offering a technology stack as a SaaS offering that we can give to an institution. I think um, we have a very good mix of investors. They all bring their respective expertise to the table and how it in the whole hedge funds and fund management industry. Galaxy Digital is an emerging merchant banks and digital assets with a number of business lines. So they all have um, their different expertise. I think they see the value in Comino as a separate offering that really doesn't exist in the industry to date, really tailored not only to the existing crypto native market, but really looking to bridge centralized and traditional finance to bring in the next wave of market participants. I think overall the market is still very small and it has a huge growth potential and really moving away from purely being crypto also to move to more traditional assets, anything from stable coins to central bank digital currency as well as security tokens. And to really see the value in Comino as being that bridge and on one side educating traditional financial service institutions, educating and working with regulators to help establish new regulatory frameworks it really helps scale the overall industry. And so I think digital assets and the industry as a whole is very collaborative at this stage because everyone really understands that it's not worth fighting for the existing market pie, but it's really worth fighting to grow that market pie overall so that everyone can have a bigger share. Now, I noticed you'd obtained the ISO and uh, ISA, the ISAE operational certifications. What exactly do these certify, particularly to clients? Yeah, definitely. So on overall, the certifications, and we continue to do these um, over the coming years, is really to certify the processes and technologies like that we have in place that, that meet um, international standards that are usually accustomed or that the organizations are usually accustomed to seeing from their institutional grade service provider. We have different certifications. ISO 2701, for example, is looking at information security management systems. It's really looking at the framework of policies and procedures that include anything from legal to physical to technical controls involved in the processing um, of the technology stack. This certification ensure that our clients and partners um, understand that we put very rigorous operational standards on top of our technology stack. Looking at ISO 27701, um, which is uh, also known as PIMS, uh, Privacy Information Management System, is really looking at anything related to privacy, data retention, etc really show that um, we are as stringent, if not more stringent than traditional financial service institutions in applying these standards. We're also looking at uh, international standards of assurance engagement. We're looking at SOC uh, ones and twos to really continue to showcase the stringent and rigorous checks we put in place, not only on the underlying technology, but also on the operational um, procedures and policies that we have in place to really meet the standards of traditional institutions moving into this, uh, into, into this new asset class as they're accustomed to see in traditional markets. Well, they're obviously reassuring to, to clients. Now, those clients are, are mainly institutional. Your um, strapline, if you like, is built by institutions for institutions. So you, the focus at Comino is clearly on institutional clients. I'm just wondering what type of institutional clients we're referring to here. Are we talking about sell-side firms? Um, are we talking about buy-side firms like hedge funds, DeFi funds, 
crypto exchanges? Are we talking about private banks and wealth managers and asset managers and corporate treasurers and pension funds? What, what are we talking about when you, when you refer to institutions? I think it's uh, all of the names you mentioned. It's really the markets uh, split, I think, in two ways right now. On one side, you have crypto native market participants, which are really entities, whether it's funds or APC companies or exchanges or miners, that really came to market through the digital assets ecosystem. And we actually started as early as 2013 and really now are scaling their businesses. And, and some of these really understand that they need a regulated partner on the custody side to help them grow their business and really bridge into the more traditional financial ecosystem, whether that's for additional funding or additional clients. And those are one client, and I think those make up most of the market to date. We're really built for the next wave of institutional adoption. I would say less than 1% of traditional financial service institutions, whether that's buy or sell side, um, are actively engaged in the market. Most of these potentially have done MTC investments in some of these companies that potentially gained exposure through more traditional and financial products like derivatives, as we see on the CME with cash and cash settled futures, and but they haven't really gained exposure to the underlying asset class in a spot way. And these, all these players from pension funds to sovereign funds to traditional hedge funds really need a custodial and regulated custodial partner that helps them move into this space in a regulated and compliant way. And I think we're really building for the next wave of institutional adoption. Um, we see ourselves as key enabler and gatekeeper for traditional financial service institutions to move into this space. And so we can work with um, a number of these uh, and they're looking forward to help them on one side, get more educated and really understand the opportunities in the space, and then also help them access the overall digital asset ecosystem by partnering with Comino as their regulated and trusted partner. Now these uh, institutional clients have to be onboarded. Comino is a, uh, a custodian, like any other custodian, you have to do customer due diligence, the know your client, anti-money laundering, countering the financing of terrorism and sanctions, screening checks. How do you how do you do that in a digital asset business? Yeah. On one side, I think it's very similar to traditional financial markets. So when you have an institution like a fund being onboarded by, let's say, a prime uh, a brokerage company like Nomura, so it really goes through a very rigorous checks around know your customers, AML, sanction lists, et cetera, which we really worked with Nomura very closely to adopt at a, a very institutional standard. And then given that we deal with digital assets, which is a new asset class as a whole, and these are bearer assets that move on distributed ledgers, we adopted and really adapted existing policies from traditional finance to enlarge the scope to also meet the requirements of uh, cryptocurrencies. So we apply additional checks around uh, know, your, know your transaction. So as digital assets come into our solution, we really check the provenance of these. So it's looking at the blockchain ledger and applying different technology solutions to really understand the movements, the behavior of these assets, and whether these meet our risk limits. So it's really on one side adopting something that our clients and prospects are really accustomed to, and it's nothing not familiar to them around the checks on KYC and what we do, but it's also adopting new methods of really checking the risks that are intrinsic and inherent to digital assets themselves. Well, the onboarding process being like the, the traditional process is, is in some ways counterintuitive with a, the digital uh, asset custodian. Do you, have you guys been looking at digital identities as a possible more efficient solution to the problem of onboarding? Or do you believe just as an institution, an organization, that one day digital identities will make that whole process of customer due diligence and onboarding much more efficient? I hope so. I think as anything on a blockchain ledger becomes more transparent and uh, more accountable and also 
reviewable to some extent. Given that we're purely an institutional business, we don't really onboard retail um, clients, which I would think are the ones that benefit the most from digital identities. However, um, leveraging traditional KYC structures, for example, we look at the UBO structure, so ultimate beneficial owner. If the ultimate beneficial owner was uh, or had a digital identity, which really showed his stakes in different companies and part in the overall ecosystem, I think it would help um, in terms of document uh, collection. There's obviously a lot of challenges, hence why we haven't seen a real sovereign digital identity or regulated digital identity to date, but it's definitely something interesting and that we stay close to and work for that. Do you think one day that uh, digital identities can be bound to digital assets and, 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 and actually start to replace the use of, of private keys? I think depending on the structure, digital identities um, have many forms to date. There's a lot of research being done in the system. And private keys will always stay in place. I think uh, if you have something like the Bitcoin blockchain, I don't see or I don't foresee any changes to the underlying structure with cryptographic public and private keys. The private keys will always act as passwords and really also help the use case of Bitcoin to be a self-sovereign asset class. So I, I think potentially you can link these. There might be new ways of cryptographically linking a digital identity to a private key to have access to different wallets. I haven't seen anything uh, that actually works in this uh, regard in the market, but it definitely could be something interesting to, to explore. Uh, could we talk a little bit about the, the services which you which which Komanu provides? Uh, you're obviously doing custody, but do you also deal with uh, with issuance of, of digital assets? Do you deal with the trading settlements? Presumably you do the asset servicing as part of the custody. So what, what services are you providing if you look at uh, the digital asset process from issuance through to, to custody and asset servicing? Wh which areas are you involved in? Okay. So over time, we really want to become an enabler that allows any institution to onboard and partner with Comino to have access to the full digital asset ecosystem. To date, we provide custody services, so we custody over 5 billion digital assets uh, on behalf of institutions that ranges and uh, multiple tokens, etc. We help them in uh, asset management, so workflows moving and securely and moving assets from one wallet to another. We help them with uh, digital asset management, so anything related to Forex, airdrops, um, dividends, etc. on chain. We recently enabled Combine Yield, which is really looking to create additional utility for our clients to have their digital assets in custody with us. This starts with staking services, so allowing clients to stake a part of their proof of stake assets, thereby help secure the network and earn yield on the back of it through protocol incentives. We're also looking at the decentralized financial space. So we see a lot of interest moving into the DeFi asset class. There's different ways of doing it, either full DeFi, which is very permissionless, or more permission DeFi pools uh, like the likes of Ave Art, where very active in exploring and understanding the regulatory requirements, the legal aspects, as well as the risks inherent to participating in this new ecosystem. We want to make sure that we enable our clients to participate with these new business models in a secure and regulated way. And then looking at the more traditional um, custody of brokerage businesses, helping our clients on and off ramp from digital assets to fiat and from fiat to digital assets helping them trade out of custody, so having the right connectivity to the right um, liquidity venues, as well as what we see or have seen in the past and, and now comes back to market, is anything around issuance. So looking at the advent of security tokens, to date we've seen mainly um, proof of concepts in the space, 
But I think as regulation firms up, as we see more regulated cash on ledger in the form of regulated private or public stablecoins, I'm sure we'll see much more interest and development in the space. And so we at Combine will look to make sure that we enable our clients to participate in this overall ecosystem in ways I explained, as well as in many other ways that potentially we haven't yet touched or explored on um, in a regulated and compliant fashion. I'll come back to the type of assets your customers are investing in and trading. But before I do, can we just get one or two technical details of the custody side um, clear? What safe custody techniques are you using? Obviously, this has evolved um, from the hot, cold, warm wallet area into multi-sig solutions and uh, multi-party computation now. Which processes are you using on behalf of your clients or indeed advising those clients to use? Yeah, so we have a set of services mentioned. Um, I think the nomenclature around the warmth of wallets is uh, out of date today. I think we provide a fit for purpose solution. So it's really important to have uh, the utmost security. So as secure as cold wallets, but be able to move these assets around in a faster fashion to be more efficient and viable for traditional financial service institutions that potentially might need access to their assets in a faster fashion. So we deploy um, two technology solutions. Um, we have access to more as well. On one side, hardware security modules, and on the other hand, uh, multi-party computation. And this really de depends on the use cases that we see our clients. Do they want lower availability wallets um, with more security and the trend around it? Do they want higher availability wallets where they're potentially able to, through APIs and automated workflows, move assets in a faster fashion in and out? There's a number of processes, uh, technically speaking, um, which would be an interview on its own and uh, also proprietary to Comino that we deploy. And we tend to work um, with every client to really understand what are their use cases, what do they want to do with their digital assets, what's their current um, roadmap and product or scope of services, and how will that evolve over time to really be able to tailor our solution to their needs and help them deal with digital assets in, in a secure and combined way through Comino. One of the terms you use in your marketing materials is a secure digital vault. How does that differ from a secure digital wallet? Does it mean the same thing or is it different? To some extent, it means the same thing, right? So every asset, so for example, we would need a wallet per asset. You won't be able to store Ethereum on Bitcoin blockchain. So every asset has individual wallets. Within our vaults, we, come, we put a number of wallets together or um, have the same security workflow on top of uh, a set of wallets. I think um, it's the same to some extent. So every asset will require a wallet and then it depends on the rules and workflows you put on top. I'd like to talk a little bit, you've touched on this, uh, about the, the sort of assets your clients are, are interested in. You, you referred a minute ago to client use cases, for example. So what are the asset classes your clients actually investing in or trading right now? Are we talking about cryptocurrencies only? Yeah, so I think given that we're an institutional um, play, the set of clients we have really focused on, I think, the most liquid and uh, most uh, known uh, cryptocurrencies. So I think uh, the asset under custody we have more or less follows the market dominance of digital assets um, as a whole. We see most exposure to Bitcoin, followed by Ethereum. But we also see um, more and more interest in proof of stake assets that enable you to stake these assets and yield on the back of it, in DeFi assets um, that enable you to participate with decentralized financial services as well as with uh, stable coins around uh, um, fiat-packed or algorithmically fiat-packed stable coins, uh, which um, 
it's really interesting to see as the market develops and more and more people tend to change from US dollar in fiat accounts in their local bank to potentially USDC or USDT, which is crypto native fiat packed dollars. And we see more and more interest also in security tokens. I think it's still been um, in an early exploration phase because it's only efficient if you really scale it um, to a global level, I think from a regulatory and technology perspective in terms of interoperability, as well as um, cohesive and uh, mutual regulatory frameworks that provide additional efficiency to the traditional financial market, which is still very efficient. But um, I think over time, these assets will take anything from NFTs to cryptocurrencies, to security tokens, to stable coins. And we, um, through a technology solution, can really tailor to all of these. So we work closely with our clients to understand what assets are they interested in today, what asset will they be interested in in the future, and how can we make sure that we enable them to engage with these assets uh, through the Comino infrastructure. Uh, you mentioned that the clients are, are focused on the, the largest, most liquid cryptocurrencies, the Bitcoin and the Ether. Is there, is there any sign of their appetite for cryptocurrencies getting broader than that? Definitely. So as I mentioned, I think um, proof-of-stake assets, um, we've seen a lot of interest in over the past months, especially around the debate on Bitcoin as not being very energy efficient. More and more institutions are interested in energy-efficient blockchains, namely proof-of-stake chains. Um, so we've seen a lot of interest growing in that field. We've seen uh, interest in non-fungible tokens, so NFTs, whether it is related to art or music or investment communities, as well as uh, I mentioned around the potential of blockchain technologies to digitize traditional financial assets, whether that's uh, stable coins or currencies that move into a digital form, or traditional bonds, uh, securities, as well as traditional assets that um, have been quite liquid around real estate, um, that are or enabling new utility if these uh, will be digitalized um, through a blockchain. So your clients are interested in in non-fungible tokens in NFTs. Is that a very recent thing? It's uh, not a very recent thing. I think a lot of our clients are very sophisticated in this space and have been involved in the overall ecosystem for a couple of years. So, um, I think over the past year, um, we've seen really interest uh, proliferate in Web3 and NFT assets. Globally, I think any institution should have an NFT strategy and look at the space. To date, um, I've mainly seen it as a research and development, let's say, as opposed to active exposures, whereby most institutions, whether it's a corporate or a bank, see the potential that NFTs bring in terms of creating even new assets that haven't been classified as assets or financial assets in the traditional world that can be classified as financial assets in the digital world. And so I think over the coming years, we'll see a lot of research and development. I think we'll also see a couple of hype cycles with market up and downturns. But I think the interest is there. It's across industry and it's really uh, enabling going from retail to full institutional. Everyone's looking at the space, understanding how they can be part of this new ecosystem, anything from Web3 to metaverses, looking at um, what the next wave of uh, the internet adoption might do and how that impacts their business model. So I think it's very interesting. I don't think um, every client has an NFT, um, but they're looking and considering as to if these were to scale and really take multiple forms from uh, IP rights to music, to videos, et cetera, how can they, considering their business model, make sure that uh, they have a solution for their clients? 
right? So it's broadening the range of asset classes they look at. Now, you, you mentioned a number of times that they're they're interested in in, in proof of stake coins, they're interested in DeFi, they're interested in staking their their cryptocurrency. So they're actively investing and trading uh, in in DeFi protocols, if you like. Um, how do you support them as they do that? Yeah, so I think it's it's always around key management. So DeFi pools are quite interesting. We under in Q1 this year announced Combine Yield, which is really a set of services allowing our clients to have more utility out of custody and earn yield on some of these assets. We started with staking, whereby we work with a set of node infrastructure providers and to allow our clients to stake their digital assets directly out of custody. So retain the security and the comfort that we give them, but also being able to earn yield on digital assets. We're um, quite actively exploring DeFi, and there's a number of risks from a legal, regulatory, and technology perspective around giving full access to DeFi pools. Technically, it's fairly easy to do it in a, in a secure way, um, but uh, regulatory speaking, there's a lot of unanswered questions and uh, guidance that we require from regulators as well as lawmakers around uh, the impacts and potential risks to our clients as well as to us as a business. I think it's very interesting that the industry will mature and we've seen tremendous growth over the past two years. I don't think this will slow down. I think it will accelerate the increased institutional adoption. And we're also seeing more institutional only DeFi business models coming to market, whether that's permissioned DeFi pools, where every liquidity provider to that pool has been KYC'd and reviewed and is a known counterparty to fully regulated uh, liquidity pools uh, as you say, you and they are actively exploring uh, DeFi. You don't expect that to slow down, but have you formed a house view about DeFi? In other words, are you concerned it might just be a bubble uh, or do you see it as a set of useful experiments or do you think that uh, it's going to be the future of finance however long that takes? I think it will be the future of finance over the long term. Currently, I think everything is a bubble. But personally speaking, not representing for minus views. I think you need a lot for innovation. You need um, different uh, technological life cycles, and I think blockchain as an over new uh, phenomenon is not different to the internet or mobile phones before that. And so I think there's going to be market up and downturns. With every market downturn, I think you clean out the non-viable business models and potentially bad actors in the ecosystem, and you really help mature the market to make it more viable and fit for purpose for um, a larger audience. And I think over time we'll see increased um, interest from regulators, increased understanding at every level that really will help mature the market, as well as increased institutional adoption and experimentation that really will um, clean out the bad actors and the unviable business models from what will be sticky and state really bridge into the traditional financial space. So a number of business models are quite interesting. You allow market participants to contribute liquidity, for example, to liquidity pool, same way they would do in a traditional exchange. The only difference is that they also earn through the trading fees in these pools. And so it's very interesting um, from a client perspective as to how they can leverage the balance sheet or their assets to earn yield of these. And with Commander, we're actively looking and tracking the market and market developments, as well as any regulatory guidance in the space, to really understand how we can give and help our clients gain access to the most secure and riskless liquidity pools or DeFi applications and staking protocols um, 
whilst ensuring that we minimize any risk uh, available. Now, you mentioned security tokens, and you also mentioned the need for scale, and I'd, I'd like to ask you separately about that. But just on the narrow question, are you actually custodying security tokens on behalf of clients right now? So I think security tokens to date have been mainly issued on permissioned protocols, whereby, let's say, the World Bank or so, that uh, we see a number of traditional large institutions have experimented with the space. They've mostly done so in permissioned ledgers which are really only accessible to a very close loop of participants. And therefore the custody in its own is not really relevant. It's more testing the pipes and plumbing, understanding the infrastructure, and then weighing the benefits versus the costs required from a tech infrastructure perspective from operational models and policies. So to date, we haven't seen too much live um, security tokens to market. I think if you look at the overall markets, there's I think around 1.8, 1.9, trillion is the overall market level of all digital assets that includes cryptocurrencies and nfts stable coins and security tokens i think security tokens are around a billion if not less and that's purely um, one-way sided systems um, one person issues a digital bond to another institution in a very closed loop we've seen a number of traditional financial services institutions do that I think at this stage, it's really just to understand um, the benefits as well as the challenges and uh, requirements from an infrastructure and legal perspective. And um, very important also to do so to really help educate regulators, um, help overall markets gain uh, to some extent standards. You need technological standards in the market to really make this market grow. Everyone's looking at the competitive edge they have but you need an underlying infrastructure that can be leveraged by any institutions moving into the space. And I don't think it exists yet. And then also legal and regulatory standards to really help grow the market overall. So I think it will still be a couple of years um, before we see any um, serious adoption of security tokens, but it's something that we are um, close to. We often speak to our clients about it and we want to understand their views. Um, as to how they want to gain exposure and how we can help them do that. Now, assuming that those experiments in those private permission networks are, are successful and we start to, to build scale, have you reached a view about the, the long-term growth potential of the security token markets? And if you have, I wonder which asset classes you're thinking will be the, the biggest opportunities for you. Will it be in the equity markets or the bond markets? Both of those are worth in the conventional sense, more than $100 trillion globally? Or do you think it will occur in those other asset classes that the security token enthusiasts have been speaking about, like privately managed assets and, and real estate, less liquid assets? Where do you see the growth potential in security token markets? Yeah, definitely. So first of all, I see a huge growth potential in the overall. Um, the main point of that is as soon as you have a digital assets on a blockchain ledger, depending if you have the, the right standards and interoperability, you create cross-asset exchanges whereby any asset can be exchanged with any other assets. That I think is a huge uh, potential efficiency gain um, that can be unlocked in traditional financial markets. I think um, we'll see a lot of experimentation. If you look at the traditional securities markets, it works very, very efficiently and moves trillions of dollars in uh, value on a daily basis. And so I think it will be take a lot of time before you really make uh, impact and disrupt that market. I think you'll see the adoption of digital assets in traditional financial markets in the most inefficient or illiquid markets first. So anything where you need, require a lot of manual processes that could potentially be replaced with smart contracts, 
and take a bond for an example, dividend payments and bond payments specifically could be paid out automatically through a smart contract, the whole issuance process, who owns what and can be digitized and really automate and so unlock efficiencies and uh, make settlement times faster. Also looking at uh, illiquid assets, so anything from real estate, it really helps in the democratization of traditional finance. Um, there's a number of asset classes that the traditional investor doesn't really have access to unless invests through a set of specialized funds and potentially by creating liquidity, by tokenizing a real estate building or a port or any large scale infrastructure, you can cut the building and not have one or two large um, private equity funds taking on the whole ownership, but really democratizing it and give a number or a much larger number of investor access to this asset class and then create and unlock liquidity in secondary trading. So I don't um, personally know what asset class will be the first. I think there's experimentation being done in multiple asset classes. We will see what um, takes scale first, and, and I think it will still be a moving trend and, uh, and really grow, um, but it will take some time. You mentioned smart contracts, and clearly security tokens are going to have quite a high reliance on, on smart contracts to automate aspects of, of them as instruments. Now, that creates another vulnerability, uh, another custody need, if you like. How would you go about protecting, or how are you going about protecting smart contracts from being hacked or manipulated? Yeah, uh, it's not something we do. Um, we tend to protect the private keys of the best wallets. Smart contracts are open source protocols that every person can review. There's a number of companies specialized in reviewing smart contracts and auditing these. Um, really make sure what are the hacking risks, uh, is there, has there been any third party auditing to remove any risk in this case? I think some smart contracts and anything in the central finance, to some extent is a smart contract, um, whether that's a DeFi lending pool or a, a, a decentralized exchange. The market as a whole is really reviewing um, these. We've seen a number of hacks in even the centralized uh, venice exchanges. Over time, I think everyone will get more educated. There'll be more money locked in as well as the risk will increase, but also the opportunities and requirements to review these smart contracts and really only give access to the ones that uh, have been tested, have uh, undergone third-party auditing, and have also been or have a track record of working in a secure way will suffice. And so I, it's not our role as a custodian um, to review smart contracts, at least not in today's market that we have access to. Over time, we'll see, but um, I think overall the markets um, will mature and we'll see more and more development and research being done in this space. Now, if we if we cast our minds back to the to the ICO boom, which has kind of morphed into the into the DeFi industry, and you may have asked this question already. Forgive me for asking it for a second time, but are you custodying utility tokens or asset backed tokens? Yeah, so you definitely utility tokens. I think the likes of Ethereum and that allow you to do more with these assets or these big assets or participate in decentralized finance. We definitely do. We see more and more interested in this space as well. Asset backed tokens, um, we do as well. Um, you see, for example, um, USDT or USDC or fiat packed uh, stable coins that uh, affect the dollar through their backing. So we also provide custody for these uh, for our clients. From a technological perspective, um, it's very easy for us to add additional assets. And we tend to work with our clients to really understand their requirements, um, their needs today and tomorrow, 
to really make sure that we have the right technological solution in place to, to meet their needs. Um, you, you, you mentioned uh, a minute ago that it will take a very long time to disrupt the existing security markets because they are relatively efficient, which prompts the thought uh, about traditional custody in that market or indeed any other market. Do the traditional custody arrangements um, offer advantages over digital custody? I'm, I'm thinking here of things like it's a kind of insurance policy against, against loss. Um, you can net your transactions through a central counterparty. Uh, you can lend the securities, you can post the securities as collateral to obtain credit. Are there advantages in traditional custody which digital custody cannot offer? I don't think so. I think so. Digital asset custody is uh, still in its early phases and it's it's really evolving and maturing as we speak. And we think that Commander is really part of that maturity and bringing um, more compliant and regulated custody to market. Um, a lot of what you've mentioned you can do, and you can also do in a potentially more um, efficient manner, whether it's security lending, um, you can do that through DeFi pools where you provide liquidity to a pool and earn yield on the back of it. You can also do it the traditional way. So um, digital asset custody can adopt traditional um, financial means, whether that's a trade party agreement, um, account change agreement, et cetera, that enable um, business models from traditional custody to be applied to digital assets. And then digital asset custody can also provide additional utility. And uh, we've spoken before around uh, digital asset services, anything from staking to DeFi pools to issuance potentially of uh, digital assets. Do, do you see the, the incumbent traditional global custodian banks as, as competitors or as partners or as possibly even as, as future parents of the organization? You know, we see traditional global custodians trying to get into the, or actually getting into the cryptocurrency custody business and with one long-term eye on, on the security token business as well. So do you see them as, as, as competitors, partners, or parents long-term? Yeah. Um, neither of those two data, I would say. Um, there's no real competitors in the market. We're all trying to grow the market share or market pie and market pool. And so seeing traditional custodians move into the space really reconfirms that there's a, a market opportunity and that traditional financial service institution, as well as their regulators are waking up to this opportunity to do it um, in a larger fashion for the traditional financial markets uh, participants. So I think it will be very beneficial to the overall market. It'll be very interesting to see what the offerings are on day one of these traditional financial market participants and traditional custodians moving into the space and how it relates or compares to our service. I think Command will always be more nimble whilst having an institutional DNA where we have a startup mindset and are able to move very quickly in adopting new services, new solutions, as well as to um, making decisions faster. So I think overall it's very positive for the market. Um, we don't exclude partnering with um, these traditional custodians moving in. We, over the past three years, we've gained a lot of understanding and experience in this space. So I think there's a lot of um, lessons that we can share with traditional custodians moving into the space and also potentially help them and enable them to provide the class custody services on top of their existing business. You said that um, nobody's really co competing, uh, but the, the digital asset custody space is quite a crowded field now. We've been preparing a, a, a directory of, of digital asset custodians. We've already come up with 90 uh, separate institutions that are active in, in the field. So who do you, who would you consider to be 
your peers, if not your competitors in institutional digital asset custody? Is it, is it Copper? Is it Zodia? Security Trust? Yeah, I, I think there's uh, three layers of digital asset custody in this today. There is on one side the technology providers that simply give you SaaS offerings that would include the Fireblocks or the Coppers of the world that can come to an institution and say, here's a technology stack that you can uh, adopt, um, take in-house and develop a custody offering and for your clients or new clients. So then you see um, crypto native custodians that have really come to market to tailor for the crypto native ecosystem. And the first one was Zappo and Bitco, Coin this custody, which is about Zappo and, and Anchorage. And I think some of these are really moving towards an institutional space, whilst I think most of their focus has been on payments and more of the retail industry or B2B2C. And then um, what we did with Combine was really to create an institutional custodian built by institutions for institutions. So it's tailored um, on one side to the existing market, but really focusing on new and traditional institutions that want to move into the ecosystem. I think the most similar um, market participants are Zodia, which is the subsidiary of uh, Standard Chartered, as well as Fidelity Digital Assets, also the subsidiary of Fidelity International, because these to some extent tailored to and come from the traditional financial market and have moved to also offer services in the digital asset ecosystem. And there, the difference is that we are an independent company, to my earlier point, and therefore allows us to, on one side, have an institutional first DNA and we rely on the expertise that we've built up from our institutional partners over the years, but also be nimble and standalone and independent in terms of really moving forward and enabling new business models and new services for our clients uh, as they need these. Now, I, I was rather intrigued to see that you're actually working with the United Kingdom police to, to store stolen digital assets. I suspect that will become a, sadly, a, a growth market as well. Now, how did that relationship with the police come about? Yeah, first of all, I think this really speaks to the standards we have implemented on one side around our technology infrastructure, but also on all the operational policies procedures that we have on top. And uh, the police, um, that was prior to me joining Comino, issued a public um, um, RFP so, or RFQ looking at the existing and I think any market participants providing digital asset custody and combine the one that um, RFQ and managed to um, secure the contract with these custody assets that have been seized by the international police. I think again, it really speaks to um, the excellence we put into rigorous testing we put from our security as well as our operational resilience. Now, you're obviously here in, in, in London, in the United Kingdom. What other locations are you operating from? I, I see Singapore, I see the United States, but are you looking at other locations as well? Yeah, so we want to come to market with a global regulated custody solution that meets institutions. I think regulatory frameworks across the globe are still evolving. And we obviously have uh, our DNA through Nomura and uh, other investors in Asia. So we're looking at developments there and we operate Singapore. We're looking at new markets that are developing from the Middle East to Europe, um, as well as the UK and countries where we operate in the US. So I don't think there's any jurisdiction we currently exclude them. We really are a client first business. So it depends on our clients' needs, where are they setting up companies, where they're looking to deploy their digital asset strategy, and as well as the always evolving regulatory framework where we look at what does meet our standards from a regulatory perspective and where do we see regulatory frameworks established that would um, enable us to uh, operate there. 
talking of, of regulatory frameworks, you mentioned right at the outset that Kermainu uh, was regulated in Jersey. Why did you choose Jersey? Yeah, so I think in 2018, uh, um, regulatory frameworks were, were very nascent. There were very little jurisdictions that understood or actually dealt with digital assets um, in an official form. I think Jersey was one of the first regulators globally to make a stance. I think they were the, they were the first um, regulator to regulate a fund called Gabi of one of our joint venture partners. Um, and so we felt it was fit for purpose um, to launch a company there. And then as mentioned, we're always looking to engage and we're engaging with regulators globally to understand evolving frameworks and really understand where we want to be next with the view of providing a global regulated digital asset custody offering for institutions. As you say, given that you are a um, want to be a regulated digital asset custodian, and you want to go to markets where the regulatory treatment of digital assets is is abundantly clear, so is that regulatory uncertainty? Is that the main obstacle to the growth of your business with institutional clients? I don't think it's the obstacle or main obstacle to the growth of our business. I think regulatory uncertainty is the main obstacle of the growth of the digital asset industry as a whole. Every regulator um, wants to understand digital assets, know that custody is the foundational layer um, that really secures the keys and creates um, additional security for the market to grow and uh, proliferate. So I think it is as a whole um, a limiting factor to the industry. However, since 2015, 2016, we've seen tremendous progress and also really um, regulators and the policymakers wanting to get educated and starting um, with uh, positive sound bites and progressive regulation. I think there's countries as well at the political level see digital assets as a competitive advantage and therefore don't want to miss out. And so since, since the COVID pandemic, we've really seen a push in uh, um, additional experimentation, new sandboxes, new regulatory frameworks being uh, adopted in uh, new as well as uh, the leading jurisdictions to really help foster innovation and help the industry grow mature whilst ensuring that um, the risks are mitigated by the right and fit for purpose regulation. And I think we'll only see this trend continue. And as combined, given that we have built a lot of expertise in this market, especially looking to work in a compliant and regulated fashion, we see ourselves as a partner and also enabler for new regulators that want to move into this space to help them educate and come to markets with um, fit for purpose regulatory environments and frameworks. Uh, Sebastian, one final question for you. What do you think makes Komainu different from those other 90 digital asset custodians out there. What are your competitive differentiators? Yeah, I think, I mean, we're an institutional first business and we have a very institutional DNA. However, we're nimble. So it allows us to move fast whilst um, being uh, um, regulated or looking to create, really create a sustainable business. In today's market, um, we really see growth in the overall market. We don't think um, that we want to be the largest custodian for the crypto native space to data. We really want to create a sustainable business model that over time manages to really bridge the gap between traditional and decentralized finance. And we want to become the active and trusted gatekeeper for new institutions that want to move into the industry. And I think over the years and through our um, partners, we really built um, a unique set of experiences in technology, as well as regulation, as well as digital asset management that really combines and creates a fit for purpose solution 
for any institution that wants to move into this asset class. And I think there's a, a really unique proposition in the market that um, nobody else provides. Sebastian Wiedmann, thank you very much.